Are you tired of the cookie cutter approach to education that's stuck in the last century? Are you seeking a win-win situation where your family thrives, your kid's education is revolutionary, and you still get to chase your own dreams? Welcome to Unschooled Unleashed. Unlock your child's genius. I'm your host, Matthew Jarecki, an unapologetic rebel dad and promoter of what many consider to be educational anarchy. You know the world isn't going to be won by those that just toe the line. It's the innovators, the visionaries, and the resilient spirits that are going to thrive. Our mission here is to forge those world changers within our very homes with less stress, energy, and time. Unschooled, Unleashed starts now. Welcome back to another episode of Unschooled Unleashed. Today we have a fantastic episode. Uh, The title is, Are Teachers the Problem? Now, a lot of you unschoolers might be thinking, yeah, teachers are the problem. Look at all the controversy controversy in the schools and da-da-da-da-da. But we're going to talk a little bit more about maybe how some of their hands are tied. I really don't think teachers are the problem. I think teachers want to do good. I think they're part of the system. But I'm going to give you a case as to why teachers are not the problem. So first off, I'm not a school teacher, but I did go through school and I witnessed firsthand some of the constraints a lot of these teachers go through. I do have friends that are teachers and I hear their complaints. I know that a lot of teachers are leaving due to burnout and just feeling like they're not making a difference. And I can totally understand why after, especially after doing my research for this episode. So short answer, are teachers the problem? No, I think most want to help your child succeed. I think they're mission-oriented, meaning they're devoted to the profession and career and helping grow uh, the minds of children. I think that's what they want to do. I think most are good-hearted. I think that great relationships can be formed between teachers and students. I remember when I was young, I had a teacher named Mrs. Foster. This was my first grade teacher, and I cried when I had to go into second grade because I didn't have Miss Foster anymore. Uh, I think the more people surrounding your children that are good support is better for them. Uh, Teachers are often stuck in the middle, though, and asked to do impossible tasks, and we'll discuss some of that. And the structure of compulsory schooling is the problem, really not the teachers for the most part. Of course, there are those few teachers that are, I don't know, they have an agenda of some sort, and they're trying to conform you to something that you don't want your children to be, and they think they're the parents. And for those people, I say you can go back to school and do something else because we don't want it. We want our children to be supported and we know that the parents are the parents. You have one year with them, if that. Please stop trying to influence our children in some social agenda that they don't need to be exposed to. They're kids. Leave them alone. For the 99.97% of you, that aren't doing that, thank you for your contribution to society. Even though I don't use teachers, uh, at least in compulsory schooling or just traditional schooling, it's compulsory because it's mandatory. That's what they technically call it. I do utilize teachers outside of that, like for myself when I want to learn something. Uh, My kids, when they go to summer camp or when they go to an after-school program, stuff that they choose. So they get to choose all that stuff. Anyway, on to today's episode. 
First, we're going to start with the quote of the day. This is something new. I don't know if we'll keep it. I'm really just throwing stuff up against the wall and see what sticks. Uh, the quote of the day. Grades don't measure anything other than your relevant obedience to a manager. This is a quote from John Taylor Gatto. I imagine that I will have a lot of quotes from John Taylor Gatto because he's had such a major influence in my life. And we may just make it the John Taylor Gatto quote of the day. Every episode, because he has so many. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> uh, on to the episode. So the title of this episode is a question. R teaches the problem. And I already kind of answered my thoughts or my answered my thoughts. I already kind of gave my answer and now I'm going to give my thoughts. Uh, I believe teachers' hands are tied in the school setting for grades one through 12 because I, I believe that they face a variety of constraints that impact their effectiveness. And today we're gonna cover, we're gonna cover six, six different constraints that teachers face that I believe, uh, uh, I don't want to, I want to go out on a limb and say that I, I just don't think, don't think they can overcome this because the system is, is such a problem. I think that the ones that are successful are most likely successful because they did not follow the rules. They did not do exactly what they're told. I know that's what John Taylor Gatto says was the secret to his success. He helped students thrive despite the education system. So let's go through the six things that are constraining teachers. So first, standardized curriculum. And I pick on this one a lot because I think it's the worst, one of the worst parts about schooling. We say everyone's going to fit the same mold. Teachers often have to adhere to a set curriculum that leaves little room for personalization based on students' individual interests and needs. They can't move around. They can't like discuss topics that come up. Even if they are talented and can do more, they're not allowed to. At least not uh, fully. They're not allowed to direct their own curriculum fully. They still have to cover certain things in a certain way. And if it's political, who knows what's going on there? I don't know. But I know it's, it gets silly out there sometimes. Teachers can't engage with every student. And can you imagine 16 bored and uninterested kids and your job is to teach them stuff that they don't want to know? <laughs> Standardized curriculum. Sounds like a hell to me. Uh, it's not what I want to do and it's not what I do with my children. <laughs> I, it's not self-directed, guys. Uh, I believe self-directed is really the only way that kids learn because they're interested in the topic and then they start to get good at it and there's just that momentum uh learning is fun they don't learn to hate learning i think curriculum constraints uh when i say curriculum i'm really talking about right now is a mandatory curriculum where everyone has to be at the same pace if you're too fast you get bored if you're too slow you're too you're you feel dumb most kids who, who aren't interested end up hate learning, hating learning. Not good. Not good for, 
I don't know if, if you want to call it a, a life belief or just an internal thought. Oh my gosh, I'm not. I hate learning. I hate doing it. Oh my gosh, that's that's the worst thing you can do for the future, which is one of the big reasons why I unschool. I want my kids to love learning because they're going to need it. With AI out there and uh, jobs constantly changing, everyone, not everyone, a lot of people becoming 1099 contractors and having to be self-motivated, you really got to be self-directed, not just with your learning, but in life. And why act like that's not coming? Why not put them in a system that supports that? Hey, that's all I'm saying. want to prepare my kids for the future. <laughs> I don't know how you can fault me for that. Uh, Top-down learning is another problem. Uh, this is under standardized curriculum. Uh, every, all, all information comes from the top. It comes from the teacher. It's not supportive, but dictated by design. So... Instead of being inquisitive and curious, which I believe are some of the the core motives to learn, we say, here's what you're going to do, and you're going to do it by this date, and then we're going to test you on it to make sure you learned, which is a great segue, moving on from the first constraint, which is standardized curriculum, to the second constraint, which is standardized testing. This one's been controversial in the past. I remember when I was a kid, people used to talk about this stuff and they used to say, you know, are grades necessary? And I would argue no, because I'm an unschooler. But standardized testing. Teachers are often under pressure to prepare students for standardized tests. This limits teachers' ability to focus on holistic learning and critical thinking skills. And I believe those two are very strong. Both holistic learning and critical thinking skills are strong in unschooling. Teachers primarily focus on the content that they will that will be in a test. And you might ask yourself, why? Well, standardized tests is how the U.S. primarily measures quote-unquote learning for children. Poor student outcomes... Um, is still a thing, right? And when we say poor student outcomes, I, I'm talking about kids are graduating who can't read or do math. Graduating who can't read or do math. To me, that's that's evidence right there. If they can't go into college classes, remedial, not even remedial, basic college classes, 101, if they're not able to do that, then the schools, the compulsory schools are failing them. And what, one of the things that they do in order to, I don't know, target this might be the right word, is schools do standardized tests to compare and track what uh, students are doing, what they're quote unquote learning. Now, I don't think, I'm going to try and debunk that a little bit here in a minute, but standardized test is their solution to track what matters. And measuring allows us to do two things. One, it records our progress, and two, it gives accountability. But you have to go under the false assumption that learning happens if your test scores go up. However, that's not always the case. As an unschooler, we believe that learning only happens when you're able to recall the information much later. And that only happens when you're interested. And the only time you're interested in it is interested in it is when you're one good at it 
or two, you're curious. So when we force curriculum down people's throat and then we're gonna test them on it, this does not create a great environment. Um, better test scores also, this should not be the goal, it should be learning, right? It should be ed, uh, the kids absorbing something for later. Better test scores are a proxy for learning. They're also a, a proxy for measuring future success in life. And this has been debunked over and over again that good grades equals success in the future. I personally believe as an unschooler that good grades only mean you were able to follow instruction. Yes, maybe some learning happened. In fact, I would argue some learning does happen because you're going to find something interesting and you're going to get exposed to different things. It's forced exposure and do what I say. But I think good grades mean you're able to follow instruction. It does not mean you're retaining anything because I've probably forgot more than I retained. That's a little scary. <laughs> but at least I was exposed to a point. Uh, I don't know. Standardized testing gives me a funny feeling. In unschooling, uh, teachable moments are at the center as opposed to testing. We're going to use what we learn, okay? Teachers have little ability to dive into these teachable moments. They just can't go deeper. Even if a class is interested or beneficial, maybe they have some leeway and maybe some teachers are able to able to finagle that in. You know, a natural question comes up from a student and they're able to on the spot talk about that and do a deep dive when the kids are, minds are wide open to learning. However, we, we know that's not necessarily the case. And I can only speak for my own journey and not from a teacher's standpoint, but I know in my journey, especially as I got older, the teachers would put up, you know, PowerPoint or uh, projectors, I think when, when I was younger. And that was the class. And we'd talk about that. And then we'd move on to the next thing, move on to the next class. And I don't really think that was really beneficial. I just was like so bored all day. Uh, and unschooling, learning is the journey. Tests are a distraction for learning. Tests are a fear-based tool used to force kids to stay on track and follow an arbitrary curriculum designed by the wise people from, well, who knows? <laughs> Your child will be held accountable for it by using grades, and they are advertised as an accurate reflection of the mental learning, learning your child has done in the name of later success. And we've already talked about how all that's not true. So why do we do it? Well, what else are we going to do, is what they say. I don't know. I think we should do a personalized relationship with the child where we do individualized learning. And you have a sense of where the child's at. We do mentorship. Give guidance. Provide tools for success. Exposure to new ideas and experiences. I think it's our responsibility as parents. <laughs> to support our children in this. As educators, we sh uh, educators, and I say everyone that's involved in the child's education, we should ensure that the kids are supported on this learning journey because life is a journey and we're curious people and we look around and we learn things and we learn how to better adapt to the world and get better and go after what we want. 
teachers are missing the mark because schools don't support the students in this way. And they're just a part of the system, unfortunately. I think there's a lot of good-hearted people out there. But I think they get burnt out very quickly because they look around and they see that this is not where learning happens. This is where... I'm trying to be very careful with my words. Uh, this is where the view of the world that the school wants you to learn is taught. This is where we're going to teach you what the wise people of wherever decided you should learn by whatever time. And I just don't think that's a good model. I, I, I just, I just don't. So moving on. <laughs> I've had a little bit of coffee this morning and uh, feeling good. Feeling good. Uh, third, third constraint for teachers. High student to teacher ratios. Another constraint for teachers. Boy, oh boy. Large class sizes can limit the amount of individual attention a teacher can provide to each student, making it difficult to cater to different learning styles and needs. Now, truly, there's only one learning style that's used in school, and that's worksheets. I say that jokingly, but kind of serious at the same time. Uh, learning styles can honestly barely be taken into account in schools, and there's no focus on how the kid learns best. Uh, I shouldn't say no. I, I'm not in schools every day, so I don't know fully, but I, I do know they try and cater to a point because uh, with the advent of computers and learning, we can use multiple ways to teach. However, I could tell you that if a child learns much better one way and it's just not available, it's like, well, tough luck, you know? And some of that might be good, but as a standard, I don't think so. And the only reason I say some of it might be good is because we need to be able to learn from every uh learn learn in every way audio visual auditory all that stuff but obviously if we're trying to go in depth and something that's important to us we want to do that in the most efficient manner and if it's available in that form why not focus in on that to be able to get to your desired outcome i see no problem with that again as an unschooler we believe that the, the lesson will happen when the opportunity to learn arises Meaning if I need to learn how to learn a, from a textbook, well, when that's the only information out there to teach me what I want to know, then I will. And I'll get better at it if that's the only way. Another reason uh, high student to teacher ratios is a constraint for teachers is it's not personalized at all. I looked up a little bit of stats for us and... The U.S. student-to-teacher ratio in 2020 was 16 to 1. Again, we focus back on if we go with the standardized curriculum in compulsory schooling. You go too fast for a kid, and they uh, think they're dumb. You go too slow, they're uninterested. Either way, kids get the impression if you're not right on point in one in particular class, that they begin to start to hate learning, that they associate learning as something bad. 
Now, I'm, I, there are kids who are right on point with that, but to hit that in every single class, every single day for every, for let's say the majority of the students, th- that's impossible. It's impossible to cater to everyone. It's, it's not personalized at all. So when we're unschooling, the, the, the whole point is we move as fast as they can, can go without becoming disinterested. That's the whole point. We're literally going as fast as it's as safely possible to preserve that curiosity and wonder of the world. And they're learning faster than they would otherwise. So you're going at a a really great speed uh, for the student when you end school. Um, High student to teacher ratios also make worksheets come about and this is something I like to pick on because I think that worksheets are their solution for learning you have to do repetition which repetition is great but when you've already got it you already understand it worksheets are the worst if you've ever done that if you don't get it then you're going to go home and ask mom and dad to do it with you At least that's what I did, and I know a lot of other people who are doing that. And when we spend an hour or two on homework, three, four nights a week, well, guess how many hours I spend with my children doing schoolwork? And when I say schoolwork, I shouldn't even say that, doing education. First off, every day is full of education, wonder for the world and looking into whatever they're curious about. But when we go over and we get intentional with something, say with math, where we sit down and we learn about fractions, I'm not spending more than an hour or two a day on these types of activities. And we don't even do that every day. We come up, we do it as these things come about. Like when we're trying to divide up how many hot dogs we discuss, you know, between two hot dogs between three kids, we talk about fractions and that someone's going to be responsible for dividing it up. And it's usually the person who doesn't know fractions. So we try and explain those concepts at that teachable moment. Um, so if I'm already spending a couple hours doing education with my kids, why would I choose to do it on a school schedule between the hours of what, four and six o'clock right before dinner or whatever? I mean, like we could just move that up in the day and do some education and then throw away a lot of the rest of the stuff because a lot of the rest of the stuff I personally believe is just going to be in and out of their head unless they're personally interested. And I believe at the younger ages, it's a lot easier and you see that love for learning happening. And then all of a sudden they have a bad experience like I did in third grade, like I did in fourth grade. These things happen and then you change your entire perspective and you tell yourself some awful story. And no one's able to catch it because there's such high student-to-teacher ratios. And, and if you are caught and you are saved from that, then you're the exception. Because I know, oh gosh, go into a room and just say, who's good at math? And you'll look have everyone looking around at each other, at least in the United States. You have a room full of people, even smart people, looking at each other going, you know what, Math's not, math isn't my thing. And I think that's so unfortunate because... I didn't, I had an experience where I'm like, oh, math's not my thing. And it wasn't until college when I chose uh, to get into science that 
I had to learn math. And then I learned I was actually pretty good at it. And I had to take a, a year of physics, college physics, and I loved it. I mean, I took a, I took a modern physics class as a, uh, an extra, what do you call it? Uh, in addition to my required classes, whatever that's called. Uh, I did that because I actually enjoyed it and I wanted to know more. I thought it was fascinating. And that's the kind of curiosity that we want to keep in our children. I mean, in our entire country, in the entire world, that's the type of curiosity we want to instill or preserve, I should say. And worksheets are just a product of high student-to-teacher ratios and tasking out learning to the parents when the kids don't understand, unfortunately, or a tutor, and that just means more school, but at least it's one-on-one. -on -one. <sighs> I'm getting depressed, guys. <laughs> this is a bunch of negative stuff, and the majority of the stuff in schools are <laughs> that's going on is, is pretty, I mean, we got pretty poor outcomes in the United States. I know some a lot of countries do better than the United States, but man, we're talking about the future generations here. Uh, we'll, we'll make it through it. All right. So what else? Fourth constraint that I identified for teachers is limited resources. Oh my gosh. How can this happen? We literally live. And when I say we talking, I know we got a lot of international listeners. Uh, I'm U.S. focused to a point, uh, but I do want to be s sensitive to the international listeners that we have. Uh, I don't know what you face overseas uh, in Europe. We got a lot of uh, European listeners and elsewhere, but limited resources in the United States for public education, and this primarily hits in in the worst places, in in the the poverty stricken areas, and I think we could probably go into a whole bunch of reasons why that is particularly how we fund schools, which I am not a fan of. Um, but it's a fact of life. And even in some of these affluent areas, it, it, there's still limited resources. And it's amazing to me that this happens. So lack of resources, whether it's up-to-date textbooks, technology, classroom supplies, or uh, support staff, can hinder a teacher's ability to deliver high-quality instruction. Remember, this is top-down instruction. So we're assuming at this point that top-down instruction works and it's just a resource question, which, you know, sometimes it is. Good news is unschoolers can do, can, can use anything to learn, that we look at the world as a learning playground. So if something's effective or out of date, we don't use it and we just find something else, right? So we can find good quality education online that's mass-produced and again, the high quality is what we're going after. Something that's accurate, you know, like all these things that you would really want, right? Uh, that teaches in a way that the child can learn. This is more, there, there's more out there now than there ever has been. And it's cheaper than it's ever have been. But yet the cost of school goes up and up and up and up. And we can, I mean, you as an adult look around and if you want to learn something, are you going to go over and sign up for a class and sit in it? Likely you aren't. You're probably going to sign up for something online that teaches you the bare bones of what you need because that's what you want. You know what you want, so you're going to move through it, get the result you're after, and that's why you're interested. You're going to do it in the most effective way possible and cheapest possible. But that's not how schools do it. 
because we live in an antiquated system. Uh, unschooling focuses on the child's interest, which is going to make it easier to learn. And, you know, I, I am going to go into how we fund schools a little bit. Stuff costs money. And we in the United States, unfortunately, pay for schools through property taxes. And one of the unfortunate things that unschoolers or even homeschoolers run into is we pay for schools when we have school-aged children, but then we don't utilize the schools because we don't think they're effective at what they do or they go about it the wrong way. And we still have to pay. Shouldn't we get that money back? Seriously, shouldn't we get that money back beyond the whole thing of uh, property taxes funding schools and us having to pay it for the rest of our lives? Why is it attached to property? Why is it like, I don't know. It, it just irks me and I'm not going to go too much more into it, but ugh. more with limited resources. Oftentimes, so we go over and we get a levy in the United States, which means a tax increase. So they're going to increase it a percentage, the percentage of your uh, property taxes it's going to go up and they say this is going to fund X, Y, and Z. And I have to tell you, that's not how I see it. I mean, they might get something extra out of the levy, but I don't see, and maybe I'm wrong here, I don't see any teachers going on strike to bring back things that are helpful within the schools for students. And we've gotten rid of so much stuff, like physical education, home economics. I mean, some of these schools might still teach it, but a lot of them have gotten rid of some of this stuff. The, the levy goes to build a new school as if the school itself is the issue, the, the, the physical structure. I, I see teachers striking for pay raises and benefits, and I hear their argument that it's going to retain good teachers and they deserve a good income and all that stuff. And that's great, but you don't have to be a teacher if you don't like the pay. And why aren't you out there striking for resources for children? If you are a good job, I just don't see it. It's not advertised on the news. So if I'm wrong, I'm sorry. But if our priority is the students, then they should have the resources that they need, including good teachers. Okay, <laughs> but <laughs> how in the most affluent country that's ever existed do we have this problem? I don't know, but it's there. <laughs> and I'm not going to set up my, my day or your day with a whole bunch of negative going on about negative stuff and a negative mindset. So we'll move on. So fifth constraint. The fifth constraint is time constraints. For teachers. School day is often packed with back-to-back -back classes, leaving little time for teachers to give individualized feedback, address each student's questions, or incorporate creative or experiential learning activities. So let's focus in on a little bit of this. Experiential learning. Unschooling focuses on this. I don't want to say exclusively, but almost exclusively. Like, this is what we do. Like, oh, you want to learn fractions? Well, we look for those opportunities. And like I referenced earlier, we had an, uh, an opportunity the other day. I have three kids. 
and there were only two hot dogs left and they all wanted some. And I said, okay, time to do some fractions. So we used that in the moment with my seven, oh, eight, eight year olds old today now, uh, my eight year old son to learn, start learning fractions. Now learning by doing according to the learning pyramid yields 50% to 600% more retainment. I want to say that again, learning by doing yields 50% to 600% more retainment according to the learning period than just simply explaining something. <sighs> I shouldn't have to prove myself here. Everyone kind of knows this. Instead, what we see is feedback not by doing. Instead, in schools, we see feedback by grades, which can discourage and it's just not an accurate measure of learning. So we're giving just positive feedback for following the rules. Cool, but it's misadvertised. Uh, more constraints, uh, time constraints is just teachers, despite what good teachers want, kids are just another number. It's a product of industrialized learning. I mean, that's where this all comes from. If you want to look into the history of school and go back and look, it, it's to prepare industrial workers. So there's really not much time and teachers, teachers' hands are already tied. They're already doing plenty of their on-the-job activities outside of school. And yeah, yeah, some stuff's got to be done. But as a standard, I don't think that should be how it's done. I think we stress people out when we do that. They have a ton of administrative tasks, administrative tasks, and teachers often have to spend a lot of time doing non-teaching tasks such as like grading, which I don't, it's going to, you're going to have a hard time convincing me that we need to give grades, uh, filling out paperwork, attending meetings, which could take away from time and planning and delivering those lessons. And I, th I think that's a big problem. Um, teacher burnout happens just like any other, any other job. And I think they've been in particular under attack more recently, especially with the pandemic happening. There was a 2022 Gallup poll that showed 44% of K through 12 employees that said they are always or very often feeling burned out, including 52% of teachers who reported the same. Now this was during the pandemic, but that's more than half of the teachers reporting that they are always or very often feeling burned out at work. This is the person that you trust to give your education to your child, to help your, to help your kid learn. Uh, if you're a parent who sends your kids to school and you got someone who's burnt out, who knows if they know what they're doing? If you don't get to know the teacher, you don't know. <laughs> and you're, and you're assuming that this is going to yield success. Oh, well, they got a decent grade. Well, guess what? Grade inflation. Be because because of politics and all this craziness, uh, an A in that class might not mean anything. Who knows? Who knows? At least they know how to show up for a test and put stuff on a paper. That's the only thing we can guarantee. Unless you're personally overseeing this. Uh, not personally overseeing it, but in this, unless you're personally observing it. You really just don't know, right? You talk with your kids, 
but they don't really, I mean, depends on how old they are. I'm, uh, gosh, this just doesn't seem like a good idea to me. Lastly, that, that's a great segue, teacher. Burnout's a great segue. We're going to talk about the final constraint, which is emotional stress. Dealing with disciplinary issues, navigating relationships with parents, and managing the emotional toll of working with students facing personal challenges can also impact a teacher's effectiveness. So even if they're a great teacher, they might get burnt out. Even if it's their passion, they might get burnt out, particularly because they don't really have freedom to teach in the way that they want to, what they think the kids need to be able to show up in the way the kids needs. Now, as far as uh, emotional stress of teaching, I don't have any experience this in, in compulsory schooling. I do have experience teaching adults on a routine basis who, you know, just out of college anyway, and some college and, and college, some college students. Uh, but I do know people who are teaching in schools, and I'll paraphrase, paraphrase what they say. They, their, their hands are absolutely tied. They have disciplinary issues with no real authority. This sounds like a hell job to me. I mean, kids can treat them just about any way they want with nothing that really comes out of it because you can't really do much about it. It has to be extreme measures to, to do anything uh, from my understanding. This is depressing to me. I think teachers should have some authority in the classroom to get rid of it. Because if everyone, if, if there's the bottom 20% who are causing the issues, the top 80% of people who are interested, the kids who are interested, are now distracted and cannot learn. And we keep those kids in the classroom. Not that they deserve to get kicked out, that's not what I'm saying, but we need to have some kind of system within the schools that allows the kids who want to learn to learn. Doesn't that seem like a good thing? Without obstruction? Anyways, that's why I'm in school. Uh, on top of that, the emotional stress that teachers face, parents make it worse. Yeah, it's us. They often take the sides of the kids in general, is what I understand. Again, I don't have experience with this. Oh, you know what? I do. Uh, l listen to this. This is how far it goes. So I had a a brand new college graduate starting at my hospital and my job was to train this person and they weren't doing well. They weren't doing well. I, I believe this person was not cut out to do the job they were asked to do. Now I'm a respiratory therapist. So we run the ventilators, which are life support. When you talk about pulling the plug, that's what they're talking about pulling at least one of the things. All right. The breathing machine. We also respond to every emergency in the hospital. We're involved with every CPR case, with, with very few exceptions in the hospital. And this person shows up unable to do the job. Now, we all wanted this person to be able to do the job. We hired them, we invested in them, but they weren't cut out. So we started giving them paperwork to let them know called corrective actions. This was in their 90 day new hire period. So we, it's in, in Ohio, it's a no fault. You can, you can terminate with, with uh, no fault. You don't have to have a reason. Of course, you're not going to do that. You hired him for a reason. So we, we did everything we could to train this, but train this person, but we 
eventually had to let him go. But along the way, guess what happened? This is a college grad of a four-year program. Mom and dad got involved. They literally called this person's boss and complained to them. At 20, I think they were 22, 23, somewhere around there. 22, 23 years old. This is how bad we are, guys. Look, if you're not going to unschool your kids or homeschool your kids, or do, you know, do what do what you think is best, but don't make it worse for the teachers. You are, if you're a helicopter parent, you are doing a disservice to your child. You are. They're not going to know how to navigate difficult areas. They're going to wait for mom and dad to show up and do it. And would you rather have them know how to do that as a teenager, or even maybe a little bit younger? To handle their own issues. You know, you could walk and guide them. I'm not saying do it on their own, but you don't handle it for them. So would you rather have them learn young or would you rather have them learn, say, at 35? Or 45? Now they got kids of their own and you're still taking care of them. Oh, now you can't. Now they're 45 years old and they have to figure out how to solve their own problems, but they can't because they've never been trained and no one's walking with them now. That's why I think if we... Walk with their kids, let them learn their lessons early. You're doing them a service because they're going to learn how to do it at a very young age in that way. Gosh, they don't have to learn how to navigate life's problems at 35 years old. Man, guys, stop it. <laughs> uh, some more emotional stress teachers face violence. Seriously, like violence. You've seen the videos. It's on social media. You've seen the coaches of your kids, whatever team, you know, football team, softball team, face parents angry and trying to punch them out because of whatever. Uh, man, not good. There's also office politics that uh, that teachers face, and they have little autonomy in most schools, as we discussed. Something interesting. So there's like doctor, lawyer, and police shows with lots of drama. You know, office politics, maybe threat of violence and, you know, the drama of interacting with teacher or uh, uh, students and parents. Where's the teacher show? We have all these lawyer, police, and doctor shows. Where's the teacher show? Probably exists. I just don't watch a lot of TV. (laughs) I'm sure someone will correct me if I'm wrong. Despite these constraints... Many teachers are still finding ways to be effective in their role. However, I in school for a reason. I don't want second best for my children. I am results-based, not grades-based. I want my kids to be able to do, not just learn theory. Although theory is great. I love theory, personally. But we need doers. We need people who are going to be self-starters. Again, 1099 contractors is a big part of the future economy. Artificial intelligence. You can do as much as you want. You just got to be a doer. You got to get results. You got to know what you're going after. There's just too many constraints out there for me to send my kids to school, uh, compulsory schooling. Now, if there was like a, another option where they might unschool within the school, or a small classroom, I might consider it if I had some other constraints. On my end, like maybe my time where I couldn't have one parent at home all the time. Uh, But the standardized curriculum, testing, high student-teacher ratio, student-to-teacher ratio, 
limited resources, time constraints for the teachers, and emotional stress that they face and aren't able to be effective at their job. If that's the case, uh, that's just too much for me. Now, I'm going to end this episode by saying teachers aren't the enemy. Okay? Unless they're actively fighting for me and my children's ability to homeschool and do it the way we want. Yeah, then you are the enemy to my educate to educating my kids but most teachers aren't that most teachers just i've never had a teacher give me a hard time even the school when i interact with them they don't give me a hard time at least in my community that was it wasn't like that 20 30 years ago where we had to worry about the police showing up at our door because we chose to educate our because i was educated at home and we and somehow that was evil you know we need to be supporting children's growth no matter how the parent chooses to do it. And I'm big on parents having the authority to be able to choose this, obviously. But with that, I will stop. It's a little bit of a longer episode today, I think. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode, and I'll see you in the next one. So here's where we roll up our sleeves and bring out the big guns. If you support our mission, then please leave a review. On Unschooled Unleashed, we are talking about using a radical approach to education in today's world. And the more five-star reviews we have, the more people will feel comfortable with the ideas, strategies, and principles we discuss. It gives legitimacy to our message, and the podcast's algorithm prioritizes us so we can reach more people. You may even have your five-star review read on our podcast. Before I let you go, I have to pause and say this from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. Your presence here is the fuel that ignites this movement. I am incredibly moved that you trust in us enough to click play. You, my friends, are the caped heroes in this story, the guardians of your family's learning journey, and a beacon of hope for your community. Be bold. Do what you think is best for you and your family. Thanks again for tuning in and taking this courageously outside of the box for this educational revolution. Welcome to the front line.